0: Well, I want you to know that this week, my family survived something. We call it family pictures. Anybody out there understand what I'm talking about? You know those pictures where you get everybody together and you want to have... You're really searching for one of the most elusive things in the history of mankind. I mean, Ishmael had Moby Dick. We have the perfect family picture you know a picture where everybody's looking at the camera everybody's hands are in the right place there is a smile on their face but it's not big enough that it makes them look weird you know what i'm talking about where eyes are not too open but they are open you know you know what i'm talking are you there you know what i'm talking about we, we survived. Now, we haven't seen the pictures yet, but we've survived the actual taking. And uh, on the actual day we took the pictures, my mom and dad, I mentioned her here, they came up to, to stay with my brother or to help out with us the day after. And they, My dad has retired. And my dad is one of those guys that um, we used to, I'm revealing a secret to him now, we used to wait and leave some projects open at our house when we knew he was coming. Because if he didn't have something to do, he goes a little stir-crazy. Mom, you go to amen for a minute there? Okay, good. I got a thumbs up. And so Dad has started cleaning out my brother and I's personal stuff in the garage. And they brought me some of my school pictures. Now, some of you that are on Facebook or Instagram saw one I put up one of the school pictures in my grandmother's crushed velvet chair, all right? But, you know, you look back on some of those pictures, they're kind of crazy. There's, there's the one year that, that everybody thought this was the good look where you're looking at yourself. You know that picture where you're straight ahead and then over your shoulder is turned sideways looking at you. For some reason they thought that was really good. There's, there's the year in preschool pictures when mom didn't know it was picture day and it looks as if a squirrel has built a nest in my hair. There's that day. And so there are awkward kind of family pictures out there, but This week I was encouraged. Because we don't have the most awkward family pictures out there. Right? You know, there's a board game now called awkward family pictures. I just want to show you a few pictures and see if you think these are awkward. By the way, if you're any of these pictures, I'm sorry. Alright? Alright, so here's one. Look at this. If you haven't got it yet, look at the dad's face. There, There we go. This is a nice shot there of he's got something he needs to get out. They, they went for the matching hairstyles there. Alright? Obviously. <laughs> he loves his vacuum cleaner. Alright? I really hope that they own a vacuum cleaning place or something. <laughs> you know the bad thing about this? I know from the way they're posed, that's a church directory photo right that's the only people that pose that way just a note themed family portraits never really turn out like you expect all right maybe one or this is it if the ventriloquist dummy makes the picture you might have some issues with how much you love the ventriloquist dummy all right so how do we rein ourselves back in right over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about perfect family, not the perfect family photo, not that snapshot in time when everybody is dressed perfectly and everything is just like you want it, and everyone's looking straight ahead and their eyes are open and their smile is just right and everybody's focused on the camera and everybody's looking good and all of that. Not that. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about what it means to be a perfect family and kind of underneath that, I don't know if you can read it from where you're sitting, it says, moving from our reality to God's ideal. Move from where we are to where God intends us to be. Now, here's the thing I know. Everybody has a family. And about the only thing we have in common, because families come in all shapes, sizes, makeups, we're different in a lot of ways. About the only thing we have in common is we didn't choose the family we were born into. Amen? Amen? Anybody want to give a testimony about another family that you would have chosen? Okay, not on Mother's Day, right? But you know, you know, we didn't choose where we were born. We were born into the family we were born into. We have the genes that we have. We're a part of the family. And as a result, those relationships, you know, you can't choose the family. And so they can either be really strong emotional relationships. Or they can be very difficult relationships. And what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is how do we interact in the midst of that? How do husband and wife interact? How do parents and children interact? How do we settle conflicts that come within the family? And we're going to look to God's word for that because God's word is amazingly relevant to that. Now, here's the thing. We're going to talk about some things that the Bible teaches about the family here in just a few minutes. And for many of us, it's going to seem like old hat, like old-fashioned, like we know that. That's the way it's always worked. That's the way it's supposed to work. But we have to realize that the writings that we're going to read from Jesus and Peter and Paul, when we read about those things, in their day, they were shockingly new, different, against what the culture would teach. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up, and we're going to get there in a few minutes, to the book of Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to look at an example there in just a moment about what God's ideal looks like. What we want to do before that is kind of get an understanding of the whole New Testament picture of what a family ought to be. You can kind of count this as an, an overall introduction to the entire messages we're going to do over the next few weeks, because we're going to look at kind of each of these aspects, but Paul and Peter, picking up on what Jesus had taught, begin to tell us what it means to live in a family, what it ought to look like, and it is radically different than the culture they're in. Like I said, today we look at it and say, Oh, that's old fashioned, or that's 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 not what it that that, that's from way back when, but not today. And yet when they were speaking it, it was very new. In fact, I mean we're gonna read some stuff that you're gonna go, Well, that's just how it's always supposed to work. In their culture in particular, women and children were not thought of very highly. In fact, there would not and there was not a Mother's Day in their day. Women were um, valued just a little bit above their livestock. And most men considered women to be a possession or something they had or something they owned. It was not somebody that they loved or shared life with. And children. Children were something you didn't even talk about. They weren't to be seen. They weren't to be heard. They were to be by themselves, over in a corner. And families didn't value children. I mean, you know the, I believe that children are our future, that whole thing? Yeah, That wasn't in their culture. In fact, some families, as they got to the ultimate retirement years, you know, like death, they started to look around the community to find responsible young adults that they could leave their inheritance to and they would adopt them so they wouldn't have to give their inheritance to their kids. Some of you don't write that down, alright? Some of you that are here with family today don't think, don't get nervous. They didn't value kids. And so when Jesus says, tell all the children to come to me, they would have been shocked. Why do you want children? Why do you want them with you? And so Paul and Jesus walk into this culture that devalued children and devalued women. And they say things that elevates them. Even though today it's interesting because Paul is sometimes thought of as somebody that wrote against kind of women's freedom and equality and that kind of thing. And yet, he's the one that originally said at the cross or in Christ, there is no male, there is no female. The idea is at the cross, all are equal before Him. And that would have been radically different. Now, We've all read some of the New Testament things, and we're going to kind of review them a little bit, but we've read what the New Testament says about how a perfect family is supposed to work. The first idea comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. You don't have to go there, but you can write it down. And it simply says, and we love this. As parents, we love this. Children, what's their only instruction? Obey. Obey, right? Your parents. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? This morning. Didn't get from kids though. Alright. Children. Just obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. It's the only commandment that has a promise with the first one's a promise. That if you do that you'll have a long life. So just obey your parents. Right? shouldn't be too difficult. Then he goes in Colossians 3, Paul's writing. And he says this. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. As is fitting... In the Lord. And husbands. Love your wives. And their day they would go, Love. What do you mean, love? I mean, the woman that I didn't even choose? The one that my dad and mom came to me and said, Hey, listen, farmer down the street's got a middle daughter, nobody wants her, and they're going to give us two cows if we'll marry her to you, that's your wife. And that's how they did it. Right? Love her? What are you talking about? And don't become bitter against her. Children, again, obey your parents and everything. You know, every time, that's all it says is obey your parents. Verse 21 in chapter 3 of Colossians is one of those verses that's hardest for me. I don't like it. Are there scripture verses you don't like? Right? I'm not saying they're not true. We're not... It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Y'all know what exasperate means? The first service I had a dad say, I really don't, let me know. And as I began to list what it meant, his son started pointing to him and going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. It means to annoy. Amen? Terrorize. Not in the sense we mean it today, but just to make uncomfortable or to have a burden that they can't carry. And the truth is, as dads, sometimes our words are heavier than we intend for them to be. As dads, sometimes, I know in my family, in my life, I'll say something to my child, to one of my children, and it is absolutely right and true. But I can tell in their reaction that I have said it in a way that has really upset them. Any dads ever had that happen? Right? So Somebody has said that In a relationship with your children, the wife's words, the mom's words weigh about 50 pounds and the dad's weigh about 500. Fathers don't exasperate your children. And then he tells, Peter tells us, that as men we're supposed to live with our wives in an understanding way. Women, I don't think you have any idea how difficult that can be. Amen. Thank you. It's okay to say it. You can ask for forgiveness later, all right? And it says, Women, respect your husbands. Guys, I don't think we have any idea how difficult that can be sometimes. Amen. So here's basically what it comes down to. The perfect family, according to Scripture, is that husbands will love your wives, be considerate with them, that wives you're going to submit to your husbands, children you're going to obey your parents every time, first time, and fathers you're not going to irritate your children. I know some dads, they think that's their life mission. Alright? Amen? Does that seem a little idealistic to you? Does that seem like a little too far to reach? For you? When you read that, I mean, they seem like simple statements, right? I mean, husbands, love your wives. Live with her in an understanding way. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't irritate your children. They're simple things, but in the reality of life, that's not what families look like. Amen? It's not what my family looks like all the time. It's difficult to look at what Scripture says and say, you know what, that's exactly the way we're living, everything's going great with that. Because it's just not reality. And so we have this tension between what God's ideal is and what reality is in our lives. And when you look at Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is going to tell us, How we deal with the moments when tension like that is abounding. Matthew chapter 19 starting in verse 3. So some Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, you have to understand something real quickly. Um, Moses had given the law. And in the law of Moses, they had no fault divorce that you wouldn't believe. If a guy decided he didn't like his wife anymore and he just wanted to divorce for whatever reason, he could walk up to her, say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, hand her a paper, and it was over. No lawyers, no attorneys, no fees, no alimony. Just over. And if a woman wanted a divorce from her husband for any reason, too bad. And so they come to Jesus and they say, because even they realize, this is what Moses said, this is what's in the law, but it it seems not quite right. So they say, Jesus, is it okay for people to get a divorce for whatever reason they want to get? And they thought they had him trapped, because if Jesus said anything other than what Moses said, then he's not from God, because obviously somebody from God would repeat what Moses said. But if he said what Moses said, it seems callous and wrong and not right. This is what I love about what Jesus does. Jesus says you're asking the wrong question. It's not about when you can get a divorce. The question is, what is marriage supposed to be? There's a difference there. And Jesus had this way of setting an ideal that was so high it seemed unattainable and then not condemning people that didn't meet it. Look what he says. Verse 4. Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. He says, listen, you're asking the wrong question. You're aiming for the least when God wants you to look to the ideal. And the ideal is not the law of Moses. The ideal is what He did in the garden when He took Adam and Eve and He says, this is what marriage is supposed to be. That a husband and a wife are supposed to leave their families. They're to join together and they create a brand new family. And that family is to be together as one because that's how God makes them. And as a result, nothing can separate what God has joined together. Go back to the ideal. Don't settle for now. In fact, they they kind of have a question after this. The Pharisees look around and they say, Jesus, after what you've just said, we just have one question. Why did Moses tell us that then? And he gets an interesting answer, he says. He told you about the paper and the divorce because your hearts were so hard you couldn't get what God was trying to do. And he basically says to them, no longer settle For what reality is, it's time to go back to try to attain the ideal. Can I tell you something, though? The ideal seems really, really good. But I live in reality. Some of you are just glad you're here this morning. Because if we would have seen your house, I don't mean the physical messiness of your house, I meant what it took to get ready to get here this morning. They walk into church, you put on the happy face, everything's great, but it was a struggle. Anybody ever had that happen to them on a Sunday morning? If your hand's not up, you'd alright? Right? Here's the truth. Because of my position here and the time I have to be here, I don't have to deal with that at home. But Susan gets four kids ready and gets here on a Sunday morning. And if there is anything that needs recognition for how great that is on Mother's Day, it's that. Some of you are some of you are wrestling and getting kids and all that kind of stuff here, and that takes a lot of effort, and it is reality. Right? Shoes go missing. Amen? Anybody got a solution for four year olds in their shoes? Let me talk to me after, all right? Breakfast doesn't get eaten because you, they wanted pancakes and you gave them a waffle and they, if they got a waffle, they wanted waffle with chocolate chips, not with syrup and you've already put the syrup on there, but they didn't want the butter on top of the syrup. Anybody else been there? I Man, that's reality. School, you're getting ready for school and by the time it comes at our house, we have to be out of the house by seven o'clock. And at 6.59, if everybody's awake at our house, it's the full on, get in the car, let's go! If everybody's asleep, it's, get out of the car. Let's go. You know? It's like time just condenses. You spend all day work and kids, and so when nighttime comes, that conversation that you really want to have with your husband or your wife turns into one of them snoring pretty quickly. And just when you think it's all together, And you've got that perfect day set aside with nothing major happening the night before the noses start running, right? Or other things start flowing, all right? That's reality, amen? And so when you're at that reality, whether you're newlyweds that are trying to make all this work out and expectations aren't being met like you thought they would be or your parents of preschoolers that are physically exhausted in all that you're doing or elementary school kids and you're doing four hours of homework a night on dioramas and poster boards and all kinds of presentations and all that kind of stuff. Or you've got teenagers in the house and you're not just physically exhausted. You are emotionally exhausted about where they are and what they're doing and who their friends are and what they're saying and where they're going and what's happening. Or you've got kids in college and who knows what's going on there. Or now your kids are out of college, but you're worried about this girl that they're dating or the boy that they're dating, if they're going to get married or they are getting married and you're planning the wedding. Or you're worried about the kids that are going to be having, the grandkids, are they okay? Is the job good enough? It doesn't matter where you are, right? It's emotionally exhausting and it's real. And when you look at the ideal, it seems like this thing that is completely unattainable. And can I tell you something? It is in our strength and our power. But here are the two choices you have. You can either settle for what the culture tells us is acceptable and okay. Or you can do all that you can to go after and maintain the ideal that God has put in place. Let's be honest. If most of us in this room today were to take our families and we were to look around at the culture around us and say, how am I doing compared to the culture around me? We're going to come out okay. We're going to be pretty good. And we can settle for that and say, I'm just comfortable with that. I don't want to be convicted. I don't want to be hurt by that. I don't want things happening about that. I'm good with where I am. I'm settled with where I am. I've got this in place. I'm good. Or we can do the difficult work of trying to attain what God intends. Jesus looked at the guys there with divorce. And I want to tell you, I mean, this this is tough teaching on divorce. Look what he says. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce. This is in verse 8. You're wise because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. That's not the ideal. That's not what was intended. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And his disciples said, it would be better just to not even get married. That's not what Jesus says. He says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying shoot for the ideal. In your family, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about practical implications of this. You have the choice of whether or not you're going to strive for better in God's ideal or you're just going to settle with where you are. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, do not let the way the culture has told you it's acceptable just to do away with the ideal, become a part of who you are. My question to you today is, are you satisfied with status quo? Or are you going to strive for the perfect? Here's the thing, I struggled with the title of this series for quite a while. I put all kinds of words in front of family there. And I kept coming back to this word, and I kept in my mind saying, I can't put that word up there, because immediately I'll put that up there, they'll go, well, that's not us. Any perfect families here? I mean, people look at that. well, that's not us, so I don't got to worry about this. But it came back to me, even this weekend as I was studying this, to think, We have settled for so much less than what God intends. And it's time to get the ideal back into what the family ought to be. So many sermons and churches are just about let's just not be like the culture. That's not what I want to preach about. What I want to talk about is what does God want us to be for the glory of His name and the betterment of us as people and the most fulfilling family we can have. The perfect family. And that's what we're going to talk about. You pray with me this morning.